this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. This summer, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission adopted a new rule that requires the use of inline XBRL in the financial reporting process. Inline XBRL allows the user to embed data directly into a filing so that it's both human-readable and machine-readable. In this episode of the Financial Executive Podcast, we speak with SEC and XBRL industry professionals regarding the impact of the new requirement, benefits and challenges of implementation, and how preparers can get ready for the transition. Joining us for the discussion are Emily Wong, CEO and co-founder of Vidacity, Mike Starr, Vice President of Governmental and Regulatory Affairs at Workiva, and Mike Wills, Assistant Director for the Office of Structured Disclosure at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Hi, everybody. It's Chris Westfall of uh, Financial Executives International. Uh, Welcome to our first, um, really, this is a a new new one for us, uh, uh, interviews that we do for FEI Daily on a continual basis. We're going to sort of loop in our members uh, to to that process, giving out our idea about, you know, how it's done and and certainly... um, input from our membership about different issues that we're, we're focusing on. And today's call is about um, inline XBRL and the new um, SEC uh, requirements around it. And we want to give our members a little bit of insight about, um, you know, why it's happening and what the repercussions are. Um, I just want to thanks everybody for joining. If you're on the line um, right now, we're just going to do sort of a, a I'm going to be asking questions of, of, of the participants uh, on the line. And then, um, you know, if we have time for questions uh, from the audience, we'll, we'll give that a whirl if there's anybody who has any questions. But uh, I want to thank all our participants for joining today. Um, and I'm just going to introduce the three people who are going to uh, sort of do a deep dive into inline XBRL and the requirements and, and what their repercussions are. Uh, and, uh, of course our participants, if I get something wrong in your bio, uh, you know, give me a heads up, but, um, uh, first, uh, on the call is, uh, Mike Willis. He's assistant director, uh, for the office of structured disclosure in the division of economics and risk analysis at the U S securities and exchange commission, uh, where he's responsible for leading the design and implementation of technological processes and tools to support uh, the structured data, structured data needs of the commission. Uh, we also have Mike Starr, who is uh, Vice President of Governmental and Policy Regulatory Affairs at Workiva, and Emily Wong, uh, who's co-founder and CEO of Idacity. Uh, the firm provides uh, insight um, and uh, analytics around public and financial, non-financial data. So we have everyone on the line. Um, we're going to get started. And the way this is going to work, we're going to do an interview, um, and we're going to get responses from um, the participants, and um, you know I'll ask follow-ups based on it. But um, after this, we're going to be publishing this as a podcast as well for those members uh, who weren't able to participate. So um, I wanted to start off with Mike. First of all, I wanted to ask you: Did I get your bio right? Did that sound correct? Mike Willis? Yes, Willis. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Two mics on the line, so I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> so um, thanks, Mike. Uh, thanks for taking the time to – maybe you could start uh, the discussion about inline XBRL uh, with a summary of the, the ruling, uh, and, and, and we'll start off that way. Maybe you can give you some thoughts on that. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for allowing us to participate. First of all, let me just get our disclaimer out of the way. The SEC, as a matter of policy, disclaims responsibility for any private or public 
any private publication or statement by any of its employees. Therefore, the views expressed today are mine and do not necessarily reflect the views of the commission or other members of the staff of the commission. With that instead, a summary of the inline ruling, I'll, I'll try and focus this specifically on uh, operating companies rather than, than funds. But the inline rule requires the use of inline XBRL for financial statement information, also for risk return summaries by the funds, with the intent to improve data quality and to decrease over time the cost of XBRL preparation. And I think we'll cover that in a few minutes. Uh, but instead of submitting the entire interactive data file as an exhibit, it's separate. Inline filers uh, embed a part of the interactive data file within the HTML filing, and they submit the rest of it as, um, as an exhibit to the filing. And that rest of it includes the contextual information that describes a tag and is typically handled by the, the software that they're using. Like in this, Mike is going to talk about that probably some. Uh, the inline rule eliminates the XBRL website posting requirements for operating companies. Um, and then there's a three-year phase in with the large accelerated filers that use US GAAP. Uh, they're required to, to file in line for fiscal periods ending on or after June 15, 2019. The accelerated filers using US GAAP after June 15, 2020. And the other filers for fiscal periods on or after June 15, 2021. And, uh, Unlike prior in the prior in the prior rule in 09, filers may comply beginning with their form 10Q. So that's sort of a, a real high overview of what the rule requirement is for operating companies. So, so one question I always ask and trying to get an understanding of is the why now? From the SEC's point of view, why the why now to move ahead with this with this ruling? Uh, Chris, the, the timing is everything, and the staff have been looking at inline since the very inception of the interactive data program. So if you go back in time, uh, the interactive data rulemaking it was back in 09 was released on April 1st, and just over 12 months later, on April 20th, 2010, the inline uh, consortium, the inline uh, format was actually submitted as a public recommendation by the XBRL consortium. So. And if it was just a year later, we may not be even having this conversation. So the, the staff have been looking at this for a very long period of time. And the why now is there's three or four items I'll cover them. The first one is market adoption of inline. Uh, we see this being required by uh, regulators all over the world, the UK, Ireland, Denmark. It's not public companies. It's all companies in those countries. Um, that also gives us some degree of comfort with vendor support and the economics I think most of your filers um, are familiar that ESMA is requiring inline uh, reporting by all EU registrants starting in 2020. So the first item would be market adoption. Second would be you know the voluntary program that was run. Uh, we ended up with about 150 registrants uh, supported by seven different vendors uh, and over 600 inline expert reports. In that mix, there was about 40% large accelerated filers and 40% small reporting companies. So a very good mix of large and small companies. Uh, we also noticed that there was quite a few uh, very large Fortune 200 companies that were not technology related. And that whole mix sort of confirmed market support. Uh, we also continue, third item is that we continue to observe what I would call persistent data quality errors from both large and small filers. And so we wanted to enable the filers to have some more options on how to effectively see these common reporting errors. And so the inline expert viewer enables a range of filters that help filers and investors to see these common errors, which would include things like negative values, custom extensions, scaling values, dimensionalized attributes, and, and other common errors. So those are all gonna be very easily identified using the viewer. 
Um, and it's one of the reasons why we made the viewer open source. It provides some of those capabilities that we thought would be particularly useful to filers and their uh, investors and analysts. And then I think fourth would be that we heard from the market vendors, uh, some of which did not even participate in the voluntary inline program, that they could and will support the inline XBRL filing shortly after any filing uh, final rule mandate uh, was announced. And, and so that's what we're observing now. So those are sort of the four reasons on the why now. Um, you know, when you're, you're thinking about uh, you know, moving ahead with a ruling like this, what are some of the issues particular to inline XBRL that the SEC, SEC took under consideration from the preparer's perspective uh, when devising the final rule? Absolutely. So th those would include the following, and I'll cover each one of them in detail, but first is re reducing reporting burden. Second would be enhancing report quality. Third would be easing the transition. And then fourth, assessing vendor support. So in looking at reporting burden, um, removing the duplication of disclosures that it's previously required under the separate HTML and XBR report. So that's eliminated in the inline program. It's also able to reduce the burden in the removal of the duplicate disclosures from a review perspective. So we've not only eliminated the HTML reports, but we also provide some features, as I mentioned earlier, to facilitate the review process. And I think you'll see and hear more about that in the conversations with Mike and Emily as to how effective and significant that might be. Third, we eliminated the website post requirements. Um, frankly, those created more confusion than good, as I think many registrants probably uh, looked at those as a, at the page views on their websites as some kind of metric in terms of the use of XBRL. Um, and that was sort of contrasted with investors and analysts and aggregators. They typically you look to an aggregation play on data, not to the website. So things like Edgar or some of the other aggregator sites. So the third item would be eliminating the website posting. And then we also observed that filers are spending an inappropriate and inordinate amount of time adjusting the XBRL structures to somehow realize some kind of desired rendering presentation. Within line, the presentation control is fully in the hands of the filer through the HTML view. So that's how people are going to see the data HTML. And this whole uh, jockeying around on the modifying the structure to facilitate a particular rendering is simply no longer necessary and therefore should free up that time. Uh, the second major thing was on report quality. And as I mentioned earlier, we've seen some very persistent errors, both large and fall, small filers. And so the first thing was to try and address those through the open source inline viewer. Um, the, the inline viewer has some very interesting features and they're all outlined on our website. There's even a video there that provides a good summary. But my favorite features of the inline viewer are number one, navigation. So gone is a need for a table of context, contents uh, at the table or block text le tagging level. If you've got it tagged, you can simply evoke that index and quickly get to anything you want to see. The second item is references. So the instance documents use the, the taxonomies and therefore, thereby include the references from those disclosures. So if you're, if you're looking at long-term deferred income tax assets, that reference will take you directly to the FASB codification paragraph and page. But also say those references would also enable you to search for disclosures within a specific topic. So in the past, you might have had to, where's Waldo as particular disclosure, or maybe look for a particular word with the references now 
tying into the codification, we can search these documents by topic. And that would enable to some degree automated disclosure discovery. I would also say that the references are extensible and being a recovering audit partner, being able to track disclosures back to either permanent file memos or key issue memos would also be something that would be a benefit of the filers. Um, that viewers open source, and I think in addition to those features, filers should expect additional features to be added. The disclosure checklist thing I mentioned earlier, the charting, a numeric value, charting that, benchmarking that, the data quality validation rules, et cetera, risk model. So it's really kind of a heads-up display platform for additional risk and quality assessments that would be useful for the filers, for their auditors, and for their stakeholders. Uh, before I move off data quality, one thing I want to mention to the filers is that the freely available open source Xperia US data quality rules provide very useful capabilities to filers. We have observed a significant decrease of errors that are targeted by the data quality rules in the registrant filings that are using those rules. Uh, so if you haven't thought about using those data quality rules, that may be a good consideration as a filer. The third area is transition issues. And with any change, we're gonna see that. Um, so looking at the experiences of the companies and the vendors in the voluntary program is very useful. As I mentioned earlier, we saw a good mix of large and small. Um, but even with that, we've, we've got a staged transition here. It's a three-year deal, so it should be easy for the companies to adopt. Um, and for filers, I think the hard part is actually doing the mapping and the modeling. The inline XBRL is a file save as function. So it's sort of like you've got a Word document, want to file save it as PDF or as, as HTML. That should be the sort of the, the level of effort at a macro level you'd be seeing here. The last thing I mentioned is vendor support. Uh, with the inline program, the voluntary program, we did get insights on that. Uh, the main insight we got was that none of the vendors supporting the voluntary program passed along the inline adoption cost. Um, we also learned that given the availability of the open source inline XRL code, that the burden on vendors may be relatively low, and, and that would also be useful support to the filers. So the higher report quality and reporting process enablers should over time work to enhance the quality and timeliness of the filing. Um, but as with any internet open standard like XBRL or HTML, support by the vendor community is really where the tire meets the road. And I got to tell you, Chris, I'm very interested to hear what Mike and Emily have to say about that. And I think your FEI members will as well. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, let's, let's get to, to Mike Starr. Mike, um, maybe you, you work with a lot of companies when it comes to financial reporting, including uh, their XBRL mapping. How would you describe the effort and resources needed to adopt to this inline XBRL ruling? Mike Starr, are you there? No, we may have lost Mike. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, you didn't lose me. I, I had it on mute while Mike was, the other Mike was talking. Oh. The, um, so the program was announced June 13th, uh, 2016. Um, our first customer filed their first inline filing with the SEC on July 1st, 2016. Um, you know, less than three weeks after the announcement. And uh, I can tell you that we had done minimal work for inline 
until that announcement came out because we needed to see what the final announcement uh, contained. So the effort was actually pretty minimal. Uh, to date, uh, we've had 192 of our customers, 3,000 customers have used inline XBRL. Um, there have been 692 filings, 674 filings, excuse me, and 479 of those have been uh, Workiva customers. So uh, the, the cost and effort, Mike's right, is, is um, the cost wasn't passed on because there wasn't really significant cost to pass on. Uh, so I, you know, I was curious about why we had a three-year phase-in, to be quite honest, because I don't think it's necessary. So, so from your perspective, that it's well. Let me ask you this question: So, the difference between the initial XBRL adoption and the adoption of this inline, you would say, is markedly less and uh, a much easier path towards adoption. Would that be a proper way of phrasing it? Correct. In the initial implementation, we had a very immature market mm -hmm. in terms of readiness. Uh, today, the market is mature, um, and uh, the change is not that big a deal. And from and I, you, you mentioned this a little bit, but from your perspective, the financial preparers you're working with. They knew this was coming, and they're 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 ready for it. They have the resources needed to um, adopt it. Uh, and you know, because you're always when you're senior level financial executives, you're always you know juggling priorities. So um, you know, adding this to the plate. Um, so you, you don't think it's it's going to be. Um, not a distraction, but a, uh, it's, how would you describe that on a level of one to not 10? Not event. Not event. Not event. Not event. I mean, you're still tagging, you're still tagging mm -hmm. financial data using XBRL. That hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's changed is the way that it's, uh, presented mm -hmm. and it, it reduces, Mike, Mike was right. You know, the, I think the major benefit was it reduced the du du duplicity filing uh, and the need to reconcile the two. Now, for our customers, that wasn't a big deal because they've always prepared both the HTML and the XBRL in the same document. Hmm. Uh, but for a lot of filers, that was a big deal because they had to make sure that there was consistency between the two documents. So that sort of goes in, you may be answering my next question, but I want to ask it anyway is, so the, the, the cost and error rates for XBRL has reportedly gone down significantly over the past couple of years. Are there any risks of halting that progress or even, re, you know, reversing it by adopting the new inline standard? No, in fact, I, I think that um, it won't have any impact on the cost and the costs have gone down. In fact, I, I would argue that the cost today is, is negligible because most companies are using one application, one uh, platform to prepare their 10K that also is used to do their tagging. So uh, I think the process of preparing and filing reports at the SEC overall, the cost has gone down. And I think that's attributable to the technology that was introduced for, in, for XBRL. The, uh, in terms of the error rates, uh, the biggest problem that we see is inconsistent tagging. Mm -hmm. So 
companies will use different tags to tag the same information. And um, I think inline could eliminate that, particularly if people follow the um, change in the criteria for element selection that was um, issued by the SEC, I think in July 2017, that made the, the reference to the codification or the reference to US GAAP, if you will, the number one criterion for element selection. So today you see people extending when they um, give an example, they may have a line item called uh, research and development and other related expenses and they will use an extension for that line item. Mm -hmm. However, that line item complies with the reporting requirements for uh, reporting your R&D cost. And therefore, you should be using the standard element for that reporting requirement, not an extension. So I think it will highlight those types of things. I think that the real question is, will the use of inline uh, lead to um, enhanced enforcement by the SEC? Well, I guess that's a question for my, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to, uh, I don't know if I want to pose that question, but it's certainly, well, what are your thoughts, uh, Mike Starr? Do you oh, think, do you think that's going to lead to increased enforcement? Well, you know, if, if I represent that my disclosure complies with a reporting requirement and I use a custom element when there's a standard element for that reporting requirement, would you say that's wrong? I would relying on uh, expert data. They're ingesting the data uh, for their analysis purposes. I would think that the SEC would want to step in and, and enforce that. Hmm. Enforce the selection of the correct element. Um, that's an interesting point. Mike, I mean, Mike will... It, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go to Mike. Uh, Mike Willis, did, do you have any thoughts on that, or can you offer any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, um, not not speaking for enforcement or anybody else. I'm right, calling, right. But I think what I said earlier is that these types of errors will be abundantly more obvious uh, in the inline format because of the filters. I think in the past um, it was kind of a Easter egg hunt, uh, where's Waldo kind of activity. But with inline, those types of uh, custom extensions will be very obvious. And so when you find them in areas like Mike mentioned, R&D or revenue or something like that, that's clearly inconsistent, I think that it would be um, more obvious to the reviewer. And therefore, we may see more questions about that. I, I can just add one thing. I think there's been a view by some of the staff that's been expressed to me anyway that there's uh, considerable judgment in selecting the right tag. Mm -hmm. And I would say your number one criteria for element selection is the uh, reference to codification. That doesn't entail a lot of judgment. It sounds like something that, um, you know, certainly gained more interest as, as it's adopted. Um, Ms. Wong, Ms. Wong, from a user and analyst uh, and investor point of view, uh, what does an inline XBRL bring to the table uh, that the previous iterations of the standard did not? 
Thank you, Chris. First, I really want to say thank you for bringing the regulator and the service and data provider to the conversation. You know, just just have exchange between Mike Willis and Mike Starr. I think the U.S. has a very healthy sort of ecosystem for financial reporting, structured data, and really has been like the poster child around the globe. And it's because we always have an open dialogue between the regulator and the service provider um, to exchange ideas. Mike Willis may not be able to say for the SEC what can be changed, but I think that by us, a service provider, voicing our opinion, hopefully can give the regulator some ideas of what the market is really asking for. So personally, I'm really excited about this new standard. You may think, you know, inline XBRL, XBRL, fundamentally the core technology is the same, right? So why would it greatly, not just small, like in a small sort of way, why would it greatly improve the usability of this data? It's because people like to read the document the way they always read the document. And now the inline XBRL sort of unify the underlying metadata with the presentation, which is HTML, the 10Ks, the 10Qs, everybody used to read. Computer can parse the data very quickly and people can still read the document in an ordinary, natural way. And that's both simple, intuitive, and very powerful. So I think that's the, probably the biggest reason why inline is making us data consumption sort of companies really excited. Um, and another thing I want to talk about is probably go back to what Mike Willis and Mike Starr both mentioned about the data quality and the disclosure requirement. And one thing I think the SEC has done a great job is creating this sort of open source, uh, free inline viewer. Um, and I think that the whole idea is they create a starting point and they want the vendors to take the inline viewer and add and enhance the functionality, right? So I, I take that to heart. I think it's probably maybe just a, a few days after they released the, the source code that we start at Audacity taking the source code and couldn't wait, but adding a whole lot of features to it. And we started with uh, disclosure requirement checklist and the quality checks. I think that's really beneficial to the investors and analysts. Um, Mike was talk about now you don't have to look for the information we sort of went a step further to say, not only you don't have to look for it, we're gonna organize it. Let's say for example, you're looking for facts disclosed based on the disclosure requirement, the qualification from IFRS or uh, FASB for leases or revenue recognition. You can very easily go to DR checklist, find the disclosure topic, click on it. We're gonna show you every fact based on that disclosure requirement. So if in that disclosure you found some elements are extended, they're gonna stand out so very obviously you don't have to really look for them. That really is one of the biggest things that, that we believe that inline viewer has done. It creates a canvas, right? It has the presentation layer that basically marries the underlying metadata and sort of make it interactive. Um, I'll give you another example. So for analysts, honestly, they don't really care that much about the DR checklist or quality. They just want great data, right? So that's really for the preparers and the regular to worry about. As analysts, I want to see the data. I don't care too much about the metadata. There's sort of geeky stuff behind it. But what if I can, we're not doing a presentation. So if you can bear with me, maybe imagine this. Let's say you are reading the income statement, right? For a company that you follow. And you want to see 
are they doing better or worse? Are they spending more on R&D or less? So all you need to do with the inline viewer now uh, is you can hover over that item. Right away you hover over, say, the revenue, you can see the trending data shows up. It's really because the embedded XBRL sort of allow the vendor like us to grab the historical data and then show that to you. Or you want to go to a footnote, say, segment reporting, and see if the company is doing better or worse in different sort of geographical region or different product lines. You can do the same thing, hover over, and you can see the data very, very easily. And I think that's a very powerful thing. Um, after we implement this, we were asking ourselves, you know, do companies really just want to see their own data? Or if I follow, say, Pfizer, right? Do I want to just see the Pfizer information? Not necessarily. Mm. Now the inline, because it has the XPRO tag associated with it. Guess what, Chris? You can actually now hover over the revenue, the cost of revenue or expenses. You can actually do instant sort of benchmarking, right? I can say, I want to see how Pfizer compared to Merck, to Eli Lilly, Assuming they're using pretty consistent tag for those regular common items, you can actually just hover over and do an instance or benchmarking right there without leaving the 10K, the 10Q document that you're so used to reviewing. And I think that sort of unification of the presentation underlying data really, really sort of brought this interactivity from a dream to reality. That's why Inline XBRL is so powerful. Let me follow up on that, Emily, and hopefully this isn't too naive of a follow-up, but, um, you know, this yeah. is, uh, it seems like a big boon for, you know, an, like you mentioned, analysts and investor community. Do you think that um, this data and the way it's going to be represented in line, do you think retail investors have any benefit? Do you think retail shops will be using this data in any differently in any way, or is that you know, is that not on the table? I definitely think it's on the table. Um, I think that as Mike, uh, both Mike's were talking about this um, 2009 after the mandate, at that time, the XBRL, the whole market was very immature, right? I, I was working for a vendor that produced the document as well. So I know it was very immature. Now, after 10 years, I think there are two things going for us. One is we have a lot of historical data. Nobody just wants to analyze the current year, the current quarter, or even you know, just a couple of years, right? We also want historical data. And for investors especially, the trending data is super critical. Now we have very, very good historical information that people can use. And two is, I think that with a lot of interesting technology come online, especially, you know, in the past, the people always like to use Excel for analysis. Now there's a lot of interesting sort of data visualization, storytelling, and that really, I think, trigger the interest level from the investors. And look at inline, right? It's really a representation of what that is. You're looking at the narrative. You're basically reading the, the numbers within the context of the, the bigger picture. And I think that will make the investor community a lot more interested. And it's not just the retail investors. I think institutional investors, we know a lot of them already using this data. They don't want you to know about it. Uh, most of the larger corporations using the information don't want to tell people because it is competitive advantage. They actually want to use it quietly, uh, improve their workflow, 
make sure their processing is a lot more efficient compared with their competitors. And I think that gradually this information will come out. And I, I think the market and the corporations themselves will probably be a little bit surprised about who is actually already using this data and in line, which is pushing forward so much faster as well. One thing I wanted to ask was, um, you know, Expertarial is a standard right now, and it's uh, for tagging uh, data, uh, especially financial reporting data. Mm-hmm. What are the chances? You know, everybody talks about blockchain, uh, how it's going to disrupt the world. What are the chances of other mm-hmm. technologies like blockchain replacing Expertarial in this process? Right. Um, I think a few people actually asked me that question before as well. And I think let's not be confused with the sexy technology versus some fundamental technology that's the enabler of everything. Not only blockchain and, and those other really sort of, you know, highly talk about technology in the fintech space as well. Machine learning, right? Artificial intelligence, augmented reality, you name it. People are talking about all this newer technology um, all the time. And if you do a Google search, for example, I think the last time I did a Google search on XBRL a few weeks ago, I think you get like 4 million hits coming back. Not bad. But if you search like blockchain, you probably get like 150 million hits and you'd search artificial intelligence or machine learning, you get like 300, 500 million hits, right? So, but not only is not going to be disrupted by those newer technology, if you think about it, what is actually enabling machine learning and artificial intelligence to work is good data, right? When you have good, clean, structured, understandable data, comparable data, that, that's how it's actually enabling the great machine learning and artificial intelligence. And blockchain is the distributed ledger, right? And XBRL is fundamentally the data flow through the pipe that enables everything. So no, I, I do not believe all those newer, sexier technology will disrupt XBRL. I think they're just going to make this silent hero even more widespread into sort of different aspects of the financial services industry. Um, I think that that's only the starting point right now, and things will only move forward much quickly going forward because of new technology. Hey, hey Chris, I, I can add to this a little bit. Sure. Um, the the blockchain is you know and DLT is clearly something that's emerging very quickly, um, and when you read about it, it's it's not the um, you know it's not there by itself. Something has to go in the chain and in the block, and you know I would say you can't put a stone tablet in that block. So what's going to go in there? Well, the short answer is a smart contract, something that is highly structured and very intelligent in and of its own, because it's all going to be processed by a machine. That's where the XBRL convergence with things like blockchain begin to make a lot of sense. And so when, when you look at this, it's not an either or, it's actually a confluence of the two. Um, and recently, a um, the chief scientist for a large fund, a mutual fund, actually commented on this, that he thought that, that XML and XBRL were probably the, uh, the enablers for scalable blockchain in that sector. Um, so I, I don't want, I don't want you to think it's an either or. It's like a confluence of the smart contracts, the semantic definitions that are enabled by the taxonomies, have a lot of legs to them, and we'll see them used in a lot of different areas. That that, that that's a great point. Um, 
I think we covered most of what we wanted to on this call. I just want to sort of um, wrap it up with my uh, with uh, a stupid, as I say, stupid editor question, which is uh, what I try to ask now and then. And that's um, get from everybody what their immediate hopes are for inline XBRL. Um, and if there's anything, if there's a next step after inline, um, what's the next step? So, uh, Mike hope, Willis, hopefully you, know, you can give me an idea of, from your perspective about, you know, inline, what, what's the next step after inline from your perspective? Um, well, I think the immediate next step would be the heads up display and the tools that would enable filers to enhance their processes, um, their quality assessment, their compilation processes, their validation processes, et cetera. Um, so I think that would be a very big step for the filer community is leveraging that, that platform as a way to enhance their own business processes and controls. Great. Mike Starr, what, what, what are your thoughts? Give you a chance to unmute. The, um, well, <laughs> first of all, I'll put in a plug for uh, WDesk. Uh, our customers can all, already do everything that Mike just mentioned with or without inline XBRL. The, uh, my hope is that, um, that it will lead to consistent tagging across companies. You know, GAP requires the same information to be required for similar events or transactions and the inherent consistency and gap is not always reflected in the XBRL mm. filings. And my hope would be that uh, inline, because it marries the HTML and the XBRL, will highlight that discrepancy and lead to consistent tagging across companies. Ms. Wong, you get the you get the final word. What are your thoughts on what's after <laughs> what's next for inline XBRL? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the the current inline, I think that the most important thing it is actually quality. And now because the metadata, right, XBR is front and center with the the uh, disclosure itself, I certainly hope even the auditors um, can get involved. Maybe uh, SEC can consider making this sort of audited document, right? Because people sort of question, can I trust the XBR data? Now it's in the same document. I hope that actually can be audited. And then as a data consumption company, I always want more and more data, right? It's not just the current the facing financial in the footnotes. Can that be extended into other really interesting and important sections like in DNA, risk factors, even the business overview section. Can those also be enabled with the XBRL to be included? Then I think they'll be fantastic. Chris, I just add one thing to Emily. Emily's comment um, that it, at least in, in uh, our view and I spent 30 plus years as an auditor of public companies uh, XPRL as it exists today is not auditable and the reason it's not auditable is twofold one is that uh, the tagging is inconsistent and two is uh, the references in, in the taxonomy are not uh, complete, are completely accurate. Um, and inline will be helpful, but there need to be some revisions to the taxonomy to enable the auditability of XPRL data. And it really goes back to making sure that there is consistent compliance with the reporting requirements under US GAAP. 
All right. Great. Uh, I want to thank everybody for the participation today. I want to thank Mike, Mike, and Emily for joining us uh, again. Um, uh, I think this is a great conversation. We'll be publishing us as a podcast afterward on FBI Daily. And I just want to say thanks, everybody, for further help today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.